HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by TechServe, New York's original and still the best Apple computer, iPod, and iPhone store and repair shop. For more information, visit TechServe.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. We're talking about food. Food. We're talking about music. Music. And musical dudes. Dudes. Finger on the pulse.
All right, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Darren Bresnitz is still out on his, uh, we'll say hiatus, but you know, normally we just call it a job. Uh, that was just Freelance Wales, uh, who will be in studio live. And I think the last time we had them on here was like two and a half years ago. They were one of the first bands that we had to come and bring in a full setup. So I'm in incredi- incredibly excited to have them come and be part of this. But first off, um, I want to... Welcome to the studio, Tiki Adam. Hey there. Uh, who is not here to talk about Tiki drinks. I am not, sir. Although you have been on which other program were you on? Um, of course, uh, Damon Bolte's program. Yeah. Oh, man. what's it, It's uh, the Speakeasy. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, you can check that out on the Heritage Radio Network archives. But we are here today to talk about the Brooklyn Feeding Academy, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Uh, Darren... You know, was going over this week's guest with me, and I, I had never heard about this or the ideas practice here. But so let, let's kind of start from the beginning. What is the Brooklyn Feeding Academy, and, and what do you teach? Okay, the Brooklyn Feeding Academy is actually a therapeutic practice devoted to helping kids and their approach to food. Um, there's a whole segment of the population that I work with that have issues related to eating. And I have a clinical, uh, my clinical practice for the last 20 years is specialized in pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders. And let's, let's talk about the difference, you know, let's say between a picky eater, which, you mm-hmm. know, almost everyone probably is, to someone that has a, you know, a disorder. What is the, the main difference there? Okay. So um, as a speech language pathologist specializing in this area of practice, um, Oftentimes, it's fairly common for toddlers, for young kids, to exhibit picky eating behavior. That's, that, that kind of is part and parcel to their uh, emerging autonomy as human beings. So you certainly have a choice over what it is you like, what you don't like. Uh, and that, that phase of development generally passes by two into three years of age. The kids that I deal with Don't eat because they don't want to. They have issues with food because they can't chew it or they have what we call sensory disorders related to the texture of food in their mouths. And and when you have difficulty chewing and you have difficulty with perceiving the sensation of food in your mouth, you're going to register those foods as threats. And as threats, you eliminate those foods from your diet. Give us uh, an extreme example of like why this is an issue and, and how bad this can get and what it does to the, the child. Okay. Um, and it's a good question um, because it's never solely the child. The whole, it, it becomes an entire family dynamic around what this kid will or will not eat. And in my extreme cases, which fall, are the kids that fall into the uh, autistic spectrum disorder, we're talking about kids that are subsisting on two, maybe three foods, period. And one of those foods is typically dairy. So they'll have a a huge over-reliance on milk. And then they might eat a certain brand of white bread. And they're subsisting on on those two two issues. And that's that's my extreme case. And then, of course, the family has to adapt to, to try to meet this child's needs. So, like, what is the... They're adapting why? Like, what is the reaction that the child has when they're given something that they just are, you know, reject? Okay, so the family desperately tries to stand on their head to do anything 
extreme like toys, bribes, videos on the tel- t- uh, on the uh, table, in order to engage this kid with the food. And whenever the child is offered something outside their regard of food, they can tantrum, they can throw food, they can throw themselves to the ground, they, they'll do anything to escape that which they perceive as a threat. So it's, it's very extreme, and it's hard for folks, especially you know, in this community that love food, to, to really identify with looking at food as a, as a potential threat. So it can get very extreme, and, and like I say, p- parents don't plan on having children with eating issues. And so you find yourself down this rabbit hole of all these ridiculous accommodations, not ridiculous in the context of you and your child, but ridiculous to the outside. Right. The viewer. second you tell someone like, oh, yeah, my kid only eats string cheese and Wonder Bread, they're like, oh, you're a terrible parent. That's so true. And, and you bring up a very good point again in that the the fitness of parents is very often at the basest level judged on how well you're able to nourish your child. And so it really, really gets to the very core of us as a hu- humanity in terms of the, you know, uh, propagation and and nourishing of the species even so yes the the in-laws and the well-meaning folks always have the remedy of you know and even the the pediatric establishment the the remedy there is if you prevent them if you if you withhold the food if you if you let them starve they will eventually eat and the kids i deal with will starve and in fact 150 years ago this disorder isn't a new disorder. It's always existed in humankind, but these kids were failure to thrive. They became immunocompromised, and they perished. So let's, I mean, the, the obvious question, I think, to, to me and the listener now is, like, where are the threats coming from? How are these developed, and, and how do they um, grow over time? Okay, so that's a, that, you're, you're spot on with your questions here. The, the threat is inborn. I, I shouldn't say the threat. The conditions that set up the threat are, in, are inborn in that, we have a, a child born with a small motor incapacity to, to, to move the muscles and coordinate um, the, the teeth, jaw, and tongue to chew. Now, feeding is reflexive in the first four months of life. So we're born, we suck from the nipple, all our, our nutrition is liquid, no problem. It's a reflexive issue. Then about six to nine months, then we're st- we're, we start to be introduced purees. Again, very easy to manage. This problem almost universally manifests itself from seven to nine months of age, where the child is then required or, or offered mixed texture foods. So we're talking about like, you know, stews and things that are overcooked and mushy. But the child's Motor apparatus and or, it's always a combination of the two, or very typically the combination, or their sensory apparatus in their mouths perceive this as a, as a threat. They might have a, a small choking incident. They're having difficulty transitioning from puree to mixed texture foods. And what is trigger, triggering that perception? Is well, it just inborn? Well, what it is, is that they're unsuccessful at managing these textures. So... They, they may chew too long, there may be a great deal of effort, or in the sensory capacity, it would be like, the, the, best, uh, the best analogy I can give you is when you're, say you're having a, a slice of pizza and you have something inappropriately crunchy, okay? okay? And you know how that... For, for me, it's watercress in like Chinese food. 
okay, hate the but, texture. Right, and that that's another aspect yeah. of this. But but the panic yeah. that comes over the the introduction of a of a texture that doesn't belong in a food. Okay, I see. You immediately expel that food right. because it may be a piece of glass. And the perception of it in your mouth is much greater than the actual tiny shard of whatever that might be. Right. This is the daily life of these kids. So does it now just could it be that one day when you're, you know, 18 months, mom is supposed to make carrots, she undercooks them and they're more crunchy than mushy and it could start there? Or is it like even more just innate where you just can't transition to to like dealing with just certain textures on like a total primal instinctual level. That's absolutely right. It's the latter because you and I and, and folks with normal sensory motor functioning adapt. Right. And we may not be crazy about it, but it's not going to cause a a, a panic reaction when you have near choking and difficulty, maybe even breathing or this sensory issue. Those foods at that very early level are registered as threats. And at that point, we as human beings, or these kids specifically, stop learning about food. And eating and developing um, our tastes is all about sensory learning regarding food. But those foods are now off the table, and they're no long, longer even regarded as food per se because they're threats. And these kids become experts at being able to judge what they can and cannot eat or will not eat. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break, and we're going to talk about solutions uh, or potential solutions. There you go. Or, or guidance to uh, weary parents. Um, you're listening to Snacky Tunes. Stay tuned to for Freelance Whales and more from Tiki Adam.
Uh, we are, uh, are live with Tiki Adam from the Brooklyn Fenian Academy. Um, so to kind of continue on about, you know, we just talked about, you know, the root of this or where it comes from, mm-hmm. you know, how does the Brooklyn Fenian Academy begin to offer solutions? And, when, and no, it's not like you bring a kid in for a week, but like, where does it start? Okay, the, 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 it starts at just evaluating the kid in his home at the, at the table during a typical meal so that I can kind of get a sense of all the maladaptations, the maladaptions, if you will, that the family has had to institute to get this child to eat. And then seeing what the, the root cause, what are, what are the escapes from the food, what's, what's his reaction to, to things on the plate, all that type of thing, you know, in, in the home. And that, that, that's real important. I've worked in a clinical setting where, you know, you, you try to evaluate these things in a laboratory and it's really not as valid as really getting in and seeing what all the conditions are. So that's the first step is, and I'll observe, you know, if the kid's having difficulty at school, I'll look at school. So I look at, at as many different dining contexts as possible to get a, an overall picture of this kid's approach to food. Okay. And then, um, you know, let, let's not take an extreme because those are obviously extreme. But sure. Let's take someone that – well, let me ask you this. Can someone be cured? Yes. Okay. And, so let's take someone that can be cured. And, you know, once the evaluation is done, what are the next steps? And how do you involve the family? Okay. So – then we in- institute, uh, uh, typically, I-, I deal with all types of feeding issues, organic, and, and, and generally what I deal with is organic. But what we'll do is one of the approaches that I use is called the sequential oral sensory uh, protocol by where I sit down with the family and what we do is we construct a hierarchy of foods that include fruits and vegetables, proteins, starches, and then work across all the different textures. And so what we're doing basically is working with, with a parent at the, at the dining table and reintroducing these foods that had been disregarded in the context of, of play, uh, away from mealtime. And so what we're doing is we're building back a tolerance by just having the child explore the food the way that, that we all do when we get to know a food. And I'm also building the oral motor component necessary for chewing as well as developing tolerance to the sensory aspect as well. Can you, can you give an example of, I mean, maybe conversion is not the right, relearning. Can you give sure. an example? So in other words, if my guy has three or four different foods that he's willing to eat and I've ascertained that he has a sensory motor issue related to that, to that problem, then what we're doing is slowly working them up a sensory hierarchy from just ha- being able to... T- I have kids that, cannot, that have literally vomited at the sight of the food in front of them. That's how strong their aversion is to this. So we basically move the food from far away to close to touching it to maybe putting it to the lips on up through so that that, that sensory um, flight, if you will, is, is quelled a bit without the expectation that this kid's going to eat this food. What we do when we ask kids to eat the food right away is bypass a whole giant con- you know, uh, compendium of sensory learning that needs to take place before we can assume a food. The, the rule of thumb is for any kid is that they have to be exposed, research has, has proven this time and again, at least 10 times to a food before they'll consider it a food. Oftentimes we want to rush kids into eating something and they just can't do it. So th- this is a way that we can slowly build tolerance 
build the skills necessary to eat the food, and then incorporate that specific food back into their diet a little at a time with the goal of having at least 30 different foods in their, in their arsenal at any given time. Is, uh, is age a factor? Like if you get this at a younger age, they'll adapt more quickly or is it irrelevant to the process? No, it's, it's totally relevant. The earlier I can get to a child, the better. I have some teenagers that I'm working with that are extremely limited. And with the, you know, the ongoing issue comes the whole, uh, uh, the whole phenomenon of creating the mythology around yourself not being a non-eater. I don't eat this because... And then you'll hear the myth behind it. And it becomes much more ingrained in the psyche, if you will, that I have a very defined rationale for why I don't eat X, Y, and Z. Right. I mean, so this seems also like a family issue. And, you know, also, I would also feel like current trends probably play into this. You know, before when, you know, it was, I guess, perceived, but, you know, more time for family dinners, more time together. There seems like there would be a way for this to be grouped like a kind of group learning experience, like how are modern day factors um, playing into this, these disorders? Is it, you know, are kids going unnoticed or are they getting more noticed now because parents are uh, just more aware of it? Well, that's a good question because like I was saying earlier, most of the pediatric orthodoxy kind of blows this whole uh, thing off in that these kids will oftentimes be appropriate height and weight, but they're suboptimally optimally nourished. So they're not underweight kids. In fact, these kids are actually at risk for being obese because of their over-reliance on carbohydrates and dairy protein. So parents talk to each other and they're fairly knowledgeable and seek these services out because they realize how different their kids are and how socially isolating having a child that eats two foods is every time you go to some kid's birthday party, they're eating pizza and cake and your kid wants nothing to do with it. Right. Um, is there anything that you should, you know, I guess the final thing to ask is like, is there anything that you should have parents or friends to look for for warning signs that it's just beyond um, a picky eater status? Okay. So we're looking at kids that have under five or six foods. We're looking at kids that will drop a food and not allow it to be reintroduced. Kids like to, I mean, not all kids have a lot of foods that they eat, but we're looking for 30. We're talking about kids that are that are, are eating like five foods they drop foods they don't reintroduce and they they they're gone forever and then when you try to reintroduce something they blow it off and they get very nervous and and even if you're you find yourself as a parent unduly stressed by how little or how in or uh, how small the variety of foods might be you should seek some help and and just get it eliminated as a, as a possibility, yeah. And then uh, let's end on a positive note. Yes. What can you say to parents who um, and families that are going through this? You know, what words of encouragement can you give them? Okay, there 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 is help. Of course, I'm I'm one of the people that 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 you could could seek out, but there are other practitioners in the area that could help you with this. But you get in early if you suspect something's up. Don't take the pediatricians. You know, don't worry as a you know, a be-all, end-all. Look into it, keep an eye on it, and the earlier we get to it, the easier all of this is because, we, like I say, we don't have these cognitive constructs around why it is that, that we don't eat. These kids just don't eat because they they're, you know, have an issue, and, and we can correct that in, in, in fairly you know, short time. 
Awesome. Um, well, can you give people the nuts and bolts of where they can find you? Okay. Website, email, Twitter. Yep. Um, I'm at Twitter at uh, Brooklyn Feeding and www.brooklynfeedingacademy.com. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here. And uh, where can people have a tiki drink from you uh, if they... Uh, Ah, yes. Just keep an eye out. I I, I always have some kind of clandestine uh, plans and, uh, you know, uh, hang out at PKNY a good bit and we'll uh, we'll, we'll make that happen. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on Snacky Tunes. Thank you, sir. Uh, Coming up next, we have Freelance Whales live in studio. Uh, We're going to play a couple tracks off of the Snacky Tunes Live Volume 3, which is out now for free uh, streaming and download. You just need to go to Heritage Radio Network. SoundCloud page, or, or just Google those things, and we will be up there. Freelance Wells uh, live in studio next, and shout out to Darren. I know you're out there listening. Bye. 
Amazing. Uh, Freelance Wells, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Uh, I think it's, we're trying to figure out maybe two and a half years, two years. Long time. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, just, you know, for anyone who didn't go back and listen to the episode, put a pause in this one and go back. Um, you guys were the reason why we started making those Snacky Tune comps. It no was way. after, yeah, it was after your performance. I were like, well, shoot, that went really well. And this sounds good. And then we realized that we had like eight other performances. And like, oh, I think we could, uh, I think we could actually make something of this. So, you know, thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's good. So how the you been? The whole second record. We've been good. <laughs> the whole second record was inspired by Snacky. Oh, get out of here! <laughs> come on, I'm I'm just I'm telling facts here. It was it but was come an equal on, exchange. Um, <laughs> so how you been? It's been, been good. Nice. Um, so we were saying that the last time when you were here was before your first real major tour and probably one of the last few busking gigs that you did on that subway platform. So, you know, a couple tours, maybe a Starbucks commercial <laughs> and uh, a new record. So you pick. Where do you want to start? Man, well, it's actually it's been a lot more than that. I think it's been like 12 tours. OK. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like. A bunch in a bunch in North America, a bunch in Europe, and um, yeah, I mean things have really changed for us. But in in another way, it feels like really normal and good to be sitting right here doing this kind of thing back at home. So, I think a lot of things have changed for us in a really good way. What are some um, What are some of the changes? Man, I think like just I don't think we've changed much as people, but I think like the like the scenario around us is like a lot more professional. I guess like we just. For the first time on this past tour, um, we were able to like carry a lot of our own production and stuff like that, um, and we were able to, you know, kind of like just these little things that people might not notice. Like we had inner ear monitors, That's which fair. are these little things that go in your ears so you can hear your music really well. It was the first time we could really hear our music well on tour. Like it's been really difficult. I think part of what's been so difficult being in this band is like loving music so much. But constantly being in situations where it's difficult to execute your music well. So we're getting to a point where we can do it better. Give, give an example of where it was difficult to execute your music. Oh, man. Well, all the places in the city that we love playing music and we think are great places and we want to go see bands. You know, I don't want to, like, call oh, okay, any of them yeah. out. But, That's fine. You know, like when you're, when you're, when we're first starting and we're, like, playing, like, Spike Hill or Trash Bar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or even a place, like, as awesome as Pianos or something. It's it's really like hard from our standpoint to get up there and have it. Yeah. Sound. We have standards now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the main difference. And, and, <laughs> and not to knock pianos or things, but those are start, I mean, those are starting out bars. Like that's yeah, where you yeah. start out and you know exactly yeah. what you're going to get. And like that, you know, and I love all those bars for the reasons what they are, but you're not expecting it to be, you're, you're almost like, you're like, well, what could this be? This is like, you get, you go there and you're like, well, I get an idea. Totally. I mean, I've used so many bands at, like I saw St. Vincent, St. Vincent was there. Passion yeah. Pit was there. Like, Totally. Like they all play so many other ones like uh, play the opening and you're like, okay, I see where this, this could go. Totally. Um, and so what are the, are there, is there anything that you feel that like you've grown so big that you somewhat miss and, and you don't think you can return to, or is you're, you know, do you still feel the ability to do whatever you kind of want? Mm. Um, no, I don't think we've grown too big. We're really still, in my opinion, like a pretty small band. Um, but like kind of in that sweet spot of being able to do everything exactly how we want to do it um but i don't think you know we haven't shot out into this like really you know this really high stratosphere where we can't um like play the kind of shows we want to play or we can't 
um, make the kind of records we go were shopping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think we're kind of in a sweet spot right now. Uh, you mentioned on the the road, you know, being fans of music lovers. Any bands in the last two years you've seen that you want to just shout out as bands that have blown you away? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Foles. We toured with Foles. Yeah. Oh, that's in oh, awesome. 2010. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like I learned everything about how to play a show from Foles, even though it was like our tenth tour or eleventh tour on that cycle. Why is that? I, they just bring it. They just bring it so hard. A lot hard, of energy. You know? And and they're so good. I think we learned something from like every band that we toured with. I mean, certainly, like, even before that, we toured with um, Bear in Heaven, mm. who are also from Brooklyn. Great Brooklyn band. Um, and we learned a lot from them just about, like, rhythm, like, consistent rhythms. And... Yeah. How to play the drums well. <laughs> but think about it, though. We can't really speak too much because we haven't been on tour for a, a year and a half. Right. right. I mean, we just came back we from just tour, did a tour. But, I mean, like, <laughs> before this tour, like, we were recording the yeah. record. So, like, well, as far as, like, working with bands or like being on tour with bands the only one we i can really speak for in the present is like geographer who we just mm-hmm. came on tour with and well in my they're mind, pretty awesome i haven't really seen you guys since that last one so you can you can we can put all two and a half years uh, <laughs> as up for a discussion um why don't we uh, play another song sure uh what's this one called this one let's do locked out
eyes to go anywhere We have the rations to go anywhere They know the pulse our way They know the pulse our way We have the rations to go anywhere We have the rations to go anywhere Awesome. Thank you, thank you. So with the uh, influence of the bands from the last couple of years, has that played at all into the, the new record? Or, you know, how has that, you know, For sure. how has that changed um, your approach to music and, and putting together the new album? Um, well, it's difficult because I think, you know, when you play in a band like this and you're taking in so much of other people's music and it's so inspiring especially when you sound you surround yourselves with like great bands like we have sometimes that influence just kind of comes in passively um and it's sort of like you know the food you eat or something like that you know you're eating food you're getting nutrition from it and it's it's like literally changing your cells from the inside out and so i think a lot of the influence that bands had on us kind of happened in that way yeah, for me, I think a lot of the influence was Shane Stumbeck, who we worked with as a producer, mm-hmm. and uh, he just brought a certain his style to the to the record. Yeah. Uh, how so? Well, he's just a really intelligent dude and has Super. a lot of experience. He's and really works intelligent. With some great, great bands. And, and how was the the process for putting this record together different than um, Weather Rains? We recorded in a in a great studio yeah. in Brooklyn. That is <laughs> really the main difference. Supposed to like difference. a tiny room. <laughs> Weather Vanes was done kind of in like a basement, with um, pretty good gear, at the end of the day. But really, it was done in um, kind of a modified space, for very little money, and um, this was basically a kind of thing where we were able to, um, like, take all of the ideas and instruments that we've accrued and do something in like a much kind of larger format. Did you bring any new instruments on to, for the record? I mean, you guys already play a lot of instruments. It's kind of busy on stage. (laughs) It is. And I think that there is a notion that if we were going to expand, it had to be in kind of small, tasteful ways. So I think the main difference is, whereas like, you know, um, the first record was done with like a lot of, um, kind of, limited use of synthesizers or just very few you know most of that record was done with like a micro cork um with this record we just kind of took on a lot more um great kind of classic analog synths yeah we're (laughs) a sound dude's nightmare it's true (laughs) how long a sound check normally as long as it can be yeah Yeah. as long as physically possible (laughs) so you had had to get the headlining status just so you could have the proper sound check exactly that was the motivation no (laughs) oh but it's line check freelance whales and i like no Sorry. Well, I mean, it's it's shocking how many times we've done that, and yeah. um, who knows how it came out. We don't know, but yeah. I mean, probably pretty bad. How's the in-ear sound? <laughs> it's it's cool. It's like it's a big it's a big change. 
you know, like it means that there's like a lot less we have to do on stage because we just plug it in and it sounds the same every night. That's great. It's really awesome. Uh, so, you know, both your al- albums have been like thematic. Um, one being, you know, a love lover chasing this one seems to be more about outer space. Sure. Where do you pull your theme song, you know, or where does that come from as opposed to writing more about everyday life? I think part of it, it comes from this very earnest place. And then part of it comes from this very kind of fun, mock, epic, sort of silly place. But the earnestness is that like, well, I guess, you know, trying to reflect on what's going on kind of in a bigger way in the world right now, it's not that far-fetched that we may have to become spacefaring humans in the somewhat not-so-distant future. Yeah, in the not-so-distant future. Um, so there's this notion that, uh, and, and the record is a little bit apocalyptic in that way, but I think it's trying to embrace that notion and, and say, well, hey, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. It wouldn't be the end of the world. No, uh, hopefully not. Yeah, exactly. But so, yeah, and so on one level, the record is kind of like about that, and then, but it's also kind of making f- um, fun a little bit of that, um, or this notion that we're all obsessed with that, you know, in uh, less than a month now, or around a month, yeah, less than a month, there's going to be some sort of cataclysmic event. I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Was it supposed to be like uh, five or six months ago and they just changed the date? Yeah, no, like no, I think in my from what I've seen, and actually, the album artwork is derived from this poster that our friend Vera made, which was a um, a fictional kind of party, a fictional event, and it was called Noah's Ark Party, and the idea was like, oh, it's like a costume party where you come dressed as your favorite animal on December, it's twenty first, right? right? December twenty first, two thousand twelve. And so it's this beautiful poster. It says, like, you know, December 21st, 2012, South Street Seaport, come dressed as your favorite animal, serious costumes only. Hmm. Um, and the notion is everyone's going to get on a boat and try to survive. Hmm. Um, and that was this funny poster that we... And it, it actually became the foundation for what we made our uh, album cover out of for oh. Deluvia. Uh, well, why don't we hear another track off of it? Sure, fine. Which one's this? This one is it's called Aeolus. Aeolus. Yeah, you got a tune. There will be a moment of tuning followed by several minutes of the music. Is that tune?
choking Little bits of diamonds All the animals Awesome. Uh, so before we get to the last song, uh, I just have to ask food highlights from the last two years of twelve tours. Oh my lord! Let's. Uh, I mean, let's just get some. Let's just get it out there. Like across the country, a- across the world, things. across the world. Oh man! Unless we need to narrow yeah. it. What was the we question? Had a, we had a back good back. food highlights. Okay. Back, back on the last tour, we uh, we were in Kansas City and then straight to Dallas. So two huge. Barbecue Amazing. capitals, and we feel free to shout out any places. We stopped in Oklahoma Joe's in okay. Kansas City, and then we stopped at Smoking Joe's <laughs> in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, <laughs> no theme at a, here. At an RV park. <laughs> yes. Okay. And that was like to me that was the best barbecue. Ever. There was um there was some rumor that we had heard that there was another place near Smoking Joe's that opened up called Smoking Joe's to try to take away their business, and they also had. We heard that they Classic had, uh, barbecue misdirection. <laughs> <laughs> they had also, people Talking had tried doors. to make it seem like Smokin' Joe's had closed down on Google or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Because it's that good. It's like, people it's... People are trying so, to sabotage it's it. It's so good. Uh, and then now let's, and worldwide, any... any Oh, man. What was the place we went to in Paris? It was L'Alchemiste. Yeah, L'Alchemiste. Yeah, that was a really amazing place. Yeah. That was um, probably the best restaurant I've been to outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. We always get really good. Too much of the menu, but yeah, that's fine. I remember a lot of duck. I remember a lot of drinking too. That's fair. A lot of wine. So we always get really good sushi in the Pacific Northwest, like in Vancouver. Um, Any horse in Vancouver? Did we eat horse? Yeah. 
No. We've had people on here who have talked about horse sashimi in Vancouver. We can move on from that topic right now. No, that's okay. My interest is peaked. Tim and I had amazing coffee at Phil's in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, so coffee. Okay. That's actually... coffee. That's amazing. The best food we've ever eaten at a festival was catered by Chuck Hughes at the Oceaga Festival in Montreal. They had everything you could ever... They had, like, moule marinière, like, a huge thing of steamed mussels. They had kind of, like, unlimited oysters. It was insane. Like, I think we probably... And all the while, Arcade Fire was sitting right next to us. Yeah. <laughs> we probably, between all six of us, probably ate $2,000 worth of oysters. And we and still feel awful about it. Sorry, <laughs> Chuck. I mean, they're there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, they're just going to get tossed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying... They're it's extremely... Perishable. Yeah, it's not like, well, we'll just put them back for next year's festival. <laughs> like that. Um, well, I want to thank you guys for coming back in. Uh, shout out to Jessica from Mom and Pop for setting this up. Um, and uh, congratulations. I don't even know what to say. Like, awesome. Job well done. Gold stars all around. Cheers, man. Uh, and How's your brother doing? He's good. He's really bummed. He really wanted to be here. Um, you know, he's got, a, he's got a desk job for these six months, so... He can't uh, find a way to get on to air without, um, you know, doing it. But he says hey, and he's bummed, and he loves um, all of you. And well, we love both of you. Oh, well, thank you. Guys and so we much. like to think we can tell you apart. Can um, you? Yes. No. <laughs> We're going like fifty-fifty on the room. It's okay. <laughs> we, we won't do a live on-air test. But um, what are you going to take us out with? Oh, uh, first off, first off, sorry. So your publicist and label don't kill me. Nuts and bolts. Where can they find you? Where can they buy the record? How can they follow you? Oh yeah, we Sign have up. a new record called Deluvia. It came out just like two months ago or so, and um, it's extremely available on the internet, like on iTunes, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, it's only five dollars on Amazon for the rest of November. Oh, hey, what up, Cyber Monday? Take that, Black Friday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> huzzah! And then uh, website, Twitter, just freelance whales. Oh yeah, we are freelancewhales.com. And um, we're going on tour in January. Oh yeah, hundred waters. Hundred waters, yeah. signed by Skrillex, as you say. Yes, exactly. But not dubstep or future dubstep. Or... Not at all. Okay. We're and going out with 100 Waters and another Brooklyn band called Il, Il Abanico. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, thank you again. Um, big thanks to Tiki Adam. We'll be back next week uh, with another episode of Snacky Tunes. And what are you gonna, now, what are you going to take us out with? We're going to take you out with a song from our first record called Generator Second Floor. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having us.
that window door went to Only told to stay away I almost had an accident 86 When I found the keys in the attic And now the smell of these wood frames Is the only sense I've left was so as you pull me from the bed Tell me I look stunning and kicked out Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.